As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Breaking news from The Athletic. The only thing I've got to say is, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys indeed? All right, little breaking news edition of the About Them Cowboys podcast just in time for this week's recording. We got former players signing elsewhere. We got current players sticking around. Oh yeah, and we got a preseason game to discuss as well on this episode of About Them Cowboys. So welcome in, I'm Kent, joined by The Athletic's own John Mashoda and Saad Youssef, your Cowboys reporters. And to lead us through this one, the man on the airwaves in the morning on the freak, Make sure you're tuned in as you're driving wherever you got to go. It's Kevin, KT Fun, preseason Turner. Welcome back, KT. Well, good to be here, guys. We all love preseason. Um, kind of a weird uh, day as we record this. It is Monday, August 14th afternoon. Been an eventful couple hours to so the preseason game. And kind of some of the things from that takes the back seat for a minute. Uh, it appears that we've got a deal done with Zach Martin. Good news. Um, John, what do you have on that? And um, how do you feel about that? I'm sure it's uh, a big sigh of relief for all Cowboys fans. Um, I feel similar like how I did in 2019 when Zeke got his money. Uh, you know, Jerry played hardball publicly, but behind the scenes, he knew that he needed Zeke for that 2019 season. He knows that he needs Zach for this season. So, Zach probably didn't get everything that he wanted, but to go from about $14 million a year to eighteen, and then both years be guaranteed now with no additional years on the contract, I mean, it's hard not to look at this and not see it as in Zach Martin won. And maybe that wouldn't have been the case if they had any decent interior backup offensive linemen. But they don't even have – they don't even have even close to an answer there. I mean, that's – to me, this Cowboys roster is loaded. I mean, it is loaded, and that backup offensive offensive line is is the only issue that they have right now. Where you're just like, man, if they lose any one of these starters, they're in big time trouble. And so to not have Zach Martin and then have to play Josh Ball or Matt Farniak, Brock Hoffman, Ooh. man, that would have been bad. And so this had to get done, and uh, and it did. And now it also gives Zach Martin and and the rest of the offense plenty of time between now and you know. September 10th to, to open the season against the Giants to kind of get acclimated and get back on where he needs to be. So I think Zach would have been fine if they if they got this done a week before that game, but now having even more time, obviously starters, just like in that first preseason game, they're not going to play in these other preseason games. So there's plenty of time for them to, you know, hit the ground, ground running when they play the Giants week one. Yeah, I think, I, I think on both sides, it's kind of what you expected, right? I mean, for Zach Martin, if you want to get more money, all you really have in your corner is to hold out. There's nothing else that you can really – that's the only leverage you have is to withhold your services. And so he did what he could do, and Jerry Jones did what he needed to do, which was, you know, just, uh, um, you know, play play hardball publicly, which is something he's done, you know, with not just Zeke, as John mentioned, but he did that with Dak too. And, and I, I think – you know, with Dak, where he really lost out is no one's taking you seriously when you're talking about the franchise quarterback. But even 
even when he was, you know, talking about Zach Martin just being a guard or whatever, talking about his position, Zach Martin's not just a guard. He's the best guard in the NFL right now. And so for, for you know, I kind of mentioned this too, like he's still a bargain at $18 million a year. He's still, he's not a huge bargain. It's not like, you know, you're, you're just, you know, it's super team friendly, but he's still worth more than that. And so I think at the end of the day, it was a lot of basically what you expected. And, um, and then the result was a win-win for both sides. Yeah. And like, this is one of those deals where if it was someone else, you might be like concerned about it. Zach Martin falls under the category of people. And you're like, whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's back in camp. Good to go. Um, and why mess around? Why mess around uh, with any of this? Cowboys still have a good. I actually jumped on a uh, a podcast with some friends from Washington. You know, the commanders, uh, some friends over there. Friends in Washington. It's a couple what? of friends, but yeah, it's weird, right? <laughs> uh, but even they're like, which you don't hear this much from uh, division rivals, but even they're they're like, why are y'all messing around with Zach Martin? You guys are going to be one of the best teams in the NFC. I'm like, yeah. I know. Uh, it's just kind of the way it goes around here sometimes. But uh, good to see uh, that settled. I wonder how different things would be, though, if they would have drafted Matthew Bergeron instead of Mozzie Smith. Yeah. Well, I think that's... Because maybe Zach might yeah. not even hold out. Who knows? I mean, it really helps your leverage when you literally have nobody they can turn to behind you. You know? And Do you guys agree the number one thing that could take this ship down is offensive line injury. Yeah, for sure. That would be my number one right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always, to me, it's always Dak's injury, but I think, you know, Dak's performance and all that is kind of tied together to the offensive line. So sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now another news that is Cowboys relevant, Zeke, has signed a deal. It uh, or it looks like Zeke's going to be signing a deal. I don't think it's uh, fully pen to paper official yet. Expected to sign with the Patriots on a one year deal. So back in the game, we had a visit. When he had a visit with them last week, I didn't know if that would happen. I uh, have a bet for one hundred dollars, which is more money than I usually bet, that Zeke would not have another fifteen yard run in his NFL career. So this is definitely oh. bad news for me. Whoa. Um, is, uh, 15 my, yard. That's a that's a <clears throat> brisky bet, KT. Well, at the time I made the bet, my whole point of you have to, is you have to be on an NFL team to rush for 15 <laughs> yards. True. The odds of the bet might have changed a little bit um, <laughs> in Mike Soroy's favor, as that's the guy I did a bet with. But uh, he thinks Zeke's going to burst off a 15 yarder for the Patriots. I don't know. What would you guys take it on this bet now that he's got a team? I mean, he cut his hair, so that's a start. He's starting to look back to 2016 Zeke, so that's always good. Um, I think this is a good spot for him. I, I thought that that deal, uh, up one year up to six million. Uh, I mean, I don't know where the, what the base is yet. I've just seen one year up to six million, so it could be one year three million if he doesn't reach a lot of those uh, things in the contract. But even when I saw up to six million, I'm like, well, the Cowboys aren't going to pay that. Um, and I wonder if any other team would either. That might be why he is signing with the Patriots. That might be the best offer that was on the table for him. And so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see him, especially because the Cowboys play the Patriots early in the season. And he's obviously a guy that, you know, a lot of Cowboys fans bought his jersey and were really hyped about for, for several years. But it got to the point where I think most fans were ready to move on. But I still think even in that game, when the Patriots play the Cowboys, it'll be kind of weird seeing them at AT&T Stadium in another jersey. Yeah, another jersey and another, and another number. He's going to be wearing number fifteen from his Ohio State days. But I think uh, I think it's a good spot for him. Honestly, I mean, you know, he goes to a place where you know Stevenson is going to be the lead back, and there's really no question about that. I think, and then um, and then behind him, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Patriots' backup running back was like Ty Montgomery at this point. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's not. Uh, you know, when you anytime you have a converted wide receiver as your second string running back, it's you know you have a need at running back. So I think it was a pretty mutually beneficial thing, and 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 like you know the Patriots aren't. It's not like you're going to some kind of like black hole organization that's just not going to compete or anything. They're not Super Bowl favorites or anything like that, but they'll be competitive. And and you know I think Zeke will kind of get that happy medium of being in a competitive situation 
in the big scale of things and then also, you know, getting paid, like John said, probably not what he was going to get paid anywhere else. Yeah, I, I, I do like the Patriots as a fit as well. Like, just like not – the Patriots are kind of known as a team. Like, you might not even know going into each game who's going to get the lion's share of those carries. So, like, that's cool. That's probably a good place for him. Uh, Over or under just, rushing yards for Zeke this season? Five hundred. Mm-hmm. I'll go I gotta under say, on that. I got to say under. Yeah, I'll go over. Oh, <laughs> I can see him in like the three to four hundred range. I'll I can see quick... him with like low rushing yards, but like ten touchdowns. I can see him with like four hundred yeah. yards and ten touchdowns because they're just gonna give him the ball on the goal line so much. Yeah. yeah. You don't like, think he's going to go for 1,000 yards and he had 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns too. What if he ago. did? What if he just was like lit up the league again? <laughs> like, I don't know if the Cowboys would do this like role or whatever, but like take it away from Tony Pollard. Because we're about to talk about the preseason game and some of that stuff. Take, the answer can't be Tony Pollard here just for the sake of this question. But who is your quote unquote goal linebacker? Right. If the answer can't right. be Tony Pollard. I always said Ronald Jones would be the guy, but again, he's suspended for two games and, and hurt right now. But I always thought Ronald Jones was kind of that fit to be the big goal line back. Um, but I think Rico Dowdle and Malik Davis are capable. And uh, Deuce Vaughn is, you know, sneaky capable, I guess, in a different way. He's not going to bang in there. But if you're talking about just like kind of crawling around and getting into the end zone. But I always thought Ronald Jones was more of that big running back um uh, big running back fit with Tony Pollard. Yeah, that prototypical player is not on the roster right now. And so if they don't add somebody that can do that, then they're just going to have to do it in a variety of, of different ways, you know. Um, obviously, they're not going to use Dak like Jalen Hurts and do the rugby scrum, but they'll have to find something else that they can do because, like for tomorrow morning, I'm doing my 53-man roster projection. And I mean, when you start breaking down the entire roster, I – I don't know how they can keep more than three running backs on the, on, the, on that original or on that initial fifty-three. I just mm-hmm. don't. There's just too many other positions where you need, like, it's the thing. Like, am I keeping Rico Dowdle and Malik Davis so I can cut a defensive back or defensive lineman who's going to have a way bigger role or can be way more impactful for me and has way more value? You know, what I mean, nothing against Rico Dowdle or Malik Davis, but if they got cut one of those guys. Don't you think every other team is cutting a Rico Dowdle or Malik Davis? I mean, every other team has got, you know, five, six backs on their 53-man that they're going to have to cut guys too. Like, I I just, when I look at this roster right now, I'm like, well, yeah, you're obviously keeping Tony Pollard. You see what Deuce did on Saturday. I don't see how you could let him out of the building. Ronald Jones has suspended the first two games, so I think they're only going to be able to keep Rico or Malik Davis. And then, you know, now obviously after that initial 53, you can adjust the roster, add some different pieces or whatever like that, but... Um, I just I don't see him keeping four backs. I also I th- think with the running back situation, like it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to me. I mean, I, KT, you know McCarthy and his, his style uh, a little bit better, but uh, you know I'd be interested to see if you kind of try to get creative with those goal line situations. Not saying you know refrig- refrigerator Perry's going to be running in touchdowns or anything like that, but maybe maybe you know you you bring a tight end back, or we saw Turpin take some handoffs out of the backfield. Um, you know, again, that's not a goal line situation, but if you have bigger tight ends and stuff, I, I, I don't know, maybe you get creative in those situations as opposed to just having your prototypical big running back try to bang it in. Yeah, no, that's kind of like, obviously everyone knows that they used to full back a little bit, you know, back in Green Bay, and I don't know if that's something that they would really spend a lot of time on. Uh, but it, it, it's we even saw this, like, some of the big jumbo-type packages that they would run last year that were just another way to kind of get creative down there. And that's, you know, ultimately these types of things that will fall on McCarthy. I do think... Hey, there's no see, John Kuhn on this roster. Yeah, there's no John Kuhn. And I'm trying to think of some other, like, random... Because they did have a couple other fullbacks that they randomly would kind of run out there a little bit for a few years under his time uh, in his time. The other thing is, like, I think around the league you're going to see... God, it's crazy how bad things are for running backs. I think you're going to see a lot of teams carry two running backs. I think more than more than ever... Um, because the truth is, if you almost can't just go be wide receiver six and play special teams and be running back three, I think teams are going to look at you as we can't have you. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. Practice squad. But it's also it's up. also your value of your position in terms of what it is to other teams. Like, am I yeah. letting Wanye Thomas go after he's like playing really no. well in training camp and he's you know he he gets a nice pick against you know Jags first team offense. Uh, so I can keep Rico Dowdle or Malik Davis. Like, there's going to be Rico Dowdles and Malik Davises out there, you know. So I don't know. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's not just well, goal line though, too. It's short yardage in general. You know, I I think that I could see the Cowboys maybe struggling in short yardage. Uh, you yeah. Know, the, the third and twos, the fourth and ones. Zeke last season on third down, thirty rushing attempts, twenty first downs. So it's like two out of three times you give him the ball on third and short, he's probably going to get a first down, right? So if he goes up to New England and, and the short yardage game is still there and it's not here in Dallas, I mean, we might start to say, well, it might have been worth that $6 million just to have that peace of mind. So I guess where I'm coming from on that is, again, we'll go back to position value. Like when I talk about them being thin at the depth of their offensive line, like it's not going to be easy to go out there and find good depth on the offensive line because there's just not a lot of that out there to get a guy to run some short yardage, a bigger back. You'll be able to find that guy. If you really, if, if you really yeah. like want to do that, you'll be able to find somebody and it won't be that expensive. You know, if you were to sit there and say like, I need to go out right now and get a guy that could be like a borderline starter for me at right or left guard or something like that, that's going to be way harder to come by than somebody that can be your short yardage back. Sure. So uh, even though, like I said, I don't think that that particular back is on this team right now. If they really want that type of back, I don't think it'll be that hard to add one to the roster. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, that's a natural segue. Let's talk about the running back situation now as a part of kind of our preseason game review. Guys, Deuce Vaughn Deuce. wins the day. Holy cow. You guys have been seeing it all at camp, I guess. Um <laughs> Barry Sanders? Um, what? No, I didn't say that out loud. Barry no, Sanders. I didn't say that out loud. You did. Uh, I mean, good Lord. Uh, clear running back too? Am I drunk right now? I don't know. I'm just saying, how could you not walk away from that game and just be going, well, he's a part of the thing now. Like, goodness, that was different than everyone else who got the ball. Yeah, I wouldn't say yeah. Barry Sanders, but... Yeah. Um. I was going to say, after the game in the press box, someone said Barry Sanders and John was, <laughs> had his headphones in and was transcribing, and he just, and, you know... If he he's Barry Sanders, out. if he's Barry Sanders, you don't even need Tony Pollard. You just you you can just have one back then. You don't even need to have anybody else. Um, no, it was impressive, though. I mean, because, yeah, we have got to see it at training camp, but at the same time, they're not tackling to the ground. And when a running back gets stopped... You know the whistle blows but deuce is still spinning off of that and then still running and sometimes in some of the highlights and some of the things you see at training camp it looks like it's a longer run than what it would have been but to actually see that when you know guys are really trying to tackle them to the ground guys who are you know trying for their lives to make these stops because they're trying to make a roster it was really impressive to see what he was able to do in a variety of ways pass catching uh breaking off the big run running in between the tackles um, you know, scoring the touchdown, short yardage type stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he absolutely checked all the boxes from that game. There's there's no doubt about that. I think I think what also stood out to me was his uh, kind of just the special teams involvement. Obviously, Turpin um, fumbled on, on the first punt return. Then Deuce in the late in the second quarter returned a kickoff out. Uh, before that, he had a punt that you know he didn't return. He let the ball bounce and. You can see John Fossil talking to him off to the side after that, and I and I and I talked to Deuce afterwards in the locker room. And was just asking him like, you know, what what Fossil was telling him, and he he said that he was basically just kind of coaching him up on you know little little things of how far to how far back he should be, the depth and all that stuff. To me, I think his entire package of special teams contributions in the return game, his running game, I I understand like people said that you know. He's running against the whatever third string defense or whatever. But I also think in a preseason game, like John said, I it's not that it's 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 tougher competition. It's just different because those people are playing their asses off. Like these are not these are not players who are going to just kind of you know just go out there. I, I was really impressed with it. I was impressed with everything that we saw in training camp, but more so everything we saw at Kansas State really transfer over you saw that on the 26 yard run 
where he made three defenders miss. You saw it on the jump cuts, everything. So for me, it, it really did check all the boxes. Yeah, I don't know um, if, and maybe I. Uh, so you talked to like Kansas State people. Have you ever, if you ever have a Kansas State person in your life? Uh, but if you talk to anyone who they're like, we told you, and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. But also NFL different level. Yeah. Obviously preseason game. The, the thing I would also say like, because one thing you saw online a lot was yeah against their backups, and I'm like, well, we had our backups in there too. So you know we can we can move that up. There was a play though that this is what what made me change everything outside of the fact that he was the most explosive player on the field, which what's to say he won't be that in in the NFL. It was the uh, the the catch that he had over the middle, right? And just the ball was not like perfectly thrown to a five-five guy. And jumps up and catches it over his head, and I went, "Wait, like we know we can do that." Now the question people are going to have is, "Can he protect the quarterback? Can he block naturally at five-five? That's fair, I guess. Um, I, I would suspect he would utilize the cut block a lot in times like those, but I would also if I, I just know that if I'm Mike McCarthy, my head's going Tony Pollard and Deuce Vaughn on the field at the same time mm-hmm. with Turpin. Yeah. Maybe, you know, if Turpin makes the team, like the options are now far superior to the last NFL game you played where Tony Pollard was getting carted off the field, like night and day overall. And that's the part that kind of got me excited. Yeah, I think I think the other thing with with you know with Deuce Vaughn is that you know yeah his pass protection might be a little whatever, but remember Tony Pollard's wasn't that great either a few years back. We were all talking about that, and so it's not just because there's other ways to to work around that. Sometimes it may be that if you're trying to get four good pass catchers running routes and one guy to stay in, maybe that's not your running back staying in. Maybe it's your tight end because you don't have as reliable of a tight end as you did in Dalton Schultz. So maybe one of those guys stays back to chip um, and Deuce Vaughn is running out in a, in a route. So um, I don't think that it's a huge liability by any stretch. And I think, you know, it's going to – Dak said two weeks ago that Deuce Vaughn has some of the best hands on the entire team. And I even asked him after the game, and he points to the fact that – and it's true, we saw it out in practice too – after every single practice, he goes to the jugs machine with with Malik Davis and is working on catching the ball. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot that comes with being a five five running back, and you know you have to make yourself an asset and versatile in every other way. And I think he's done that. And of course, he's not going to be Ezekiel Elliott as a pass protector, but because he's not, it's not like your quarterback is a video game like robot. Your quarterback has to know. You know, when Zeke's out there, I can wait. I can I can give it a second because I know he blocks like a really good back. I don't have Ezekiel Elliott anymore. I have Deuce Vaughn. I have Tony Pollard. Those aren't that isn't necessarily their strength of their game. So I got to throw the ball away if that happens. If they get lit up on, on on someone blitzing up the middle, hey, well I throw the ball on the ground and we punt the ball and we have one of the best defenses in the NFL. That's what you have to do. Everybody doesn't have great pass protection back there, so you have to adjust the offense yeah. to it. That's on the quarterback though, because when I say that. Does that even sound like a Dak Prescott? Because I haven't really seen that Dak Prescott, but that's something that with this defense, the best defense he's ever played with in his life, no doubt about it, he's going to have to do that sometimes. We're just like, okay, it wasn't there. Just throw it away. We didn't. We don't have to score 25, 30 points. We don't have to get this first down. Throw it in the ground, punt the ball, go play defense. Yeah, and I, I think all that's like, I think like there's nothing quite like him from a size-wise in the league outside of Sproles comes up a lot. Tariq Cohen comes up a lot. Tariq Cohen kind of fl- flare out and play in the slot a little bit too. Uh, Gio Bernard's kind of the name that comes to mind, maybe of our modern era a little bit too. Because um, that you see, watching watching Deuce Vaughn like run with the ball in his hands is not like Sproles ran with the ball in his hands that I can remember. It looks more natural too. Um, like you know, Gio Bernard when he played running back, it, it was pretty natural at the time. Now, that's 10 years ago when he was in his prime almost, right? Um, but I'm just thinking about ways to go, okay, you try not to get crazy over one preseason game, right? But my goodness. I mean, nobody Mike really McCarthy looked like Patrick not... Mahomes, and nobody really looked like Steph Curry, and they seem to be doing okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. 
All right, so there we go. Running back two, nailed it. Let's go. The Rico <laughs> fumble is not helpful, right? Not not helpful. Everything Malik before Davis the ball actually doesn't... came out of his hand. It looked great, and and it made you say, "Oh yeah, this guy's definitely separating himself in that that competition with Malik Davis." But then you cough it up there on a team that really doesn't cough the ball up that much. And I know that that is a huge issue, you know, that McCarthy is addressing in this offseason is taking care of the football on offense. So I don't know how the point system works, but you know, he was gaining a lot of points up until that fumble, and it probably that fumbling the ball in that situation probably deleted any points of positivity that he got off that run up until that point. And it did look nice. I was like, Oh wow. That he's really showing, you know, what the coaches have talked about, how he's, you know, he just hasn't been healthy when he's healthy. He's a good player, but yeah, you, you can't fumble in that situation. Eyeball test though, outside of the fumble, Rico way more explosive than, yeah, uh, Malik Davis. Yep. Oh yeah, and Malik Davis got beat on a pass play too. So, um, you know, uh, and, and his rusher got to the quarterback. So I, I think Rico Dowdle for sure outplayed Malik Davis. Um, let's go to uh, tight end a little bit. Jake Ferguson looks solid. Uh, you know, uh, seeing Schoonmaker out there, I thought was was good. Oh, let's go. Let's do pass catchers in general because I think that's we can kind of hit all of that all at once. The more I see of Jake Ferguson, the the more pleased I am that they didn't sign Dalton Schultz to a big extension. I feel like it's something that can he can almost replicate that role. Um, at least it, that's that's just an opinion. So I don't know. You guys have seen more at camp in person, but yeah, I wonder what the like drop that. off is though after him. You know, um, obviously I'm, I'm not saying that they should have paid Schultz, but if you get a got Schultz on a decent deal to resign for a little bit. I wouldn't mind having Schultz and Jake Ferguson. I just got some question marks right now about after that spot. You know, uh, you know. I know John Stevens has really come on, and you know, Schoonmaker's getting back out there after missing a lot of time with the foot issue. And then you got Hendershot. Um, but to me, when you talk about pass catchers, when I think of Jake Ferguson, in a different way, it also reminds me of Jalen Tolbert because both of those guys have separated themselves from the pack. And when I say Jake Ferguson, it's from the pack of the rest of those tight ends. He's the clear one to me uh, right now. And then for Jalen Tolbert, it's he's the clear fourth guy. That Those those first three guys are set. You knew who those were going to be. You knew it was going to be Cooks, Gallup, and Lamb as your starters. But who was going to be, when we go when we got out of camp, who was going to be number four? Was it going to be Turpin? Was it going to be Simi? Somebody we didn't know. Could Tolbert rise to the occasion? And yeah, Tolbert's, Tolbert's lapped the field as far as I'm concerned. He's the clear four now. Yeah, I think I think Tolbert for sure secured that spot. I thought he had a couple of really good catches, um, even in the preseason game. But even throughout camp, he's been really good. For me, with uh, with with the tight end spot, I thought you know Jake Ferguson, like you said, is you know is clearly tight end one. To John's point, remember when Blake Jarwin blew out his knee in the first game? You had Dalton Schultz right behind him, and I think that's kind of what you're worried about is you don't have anybody. Uh, behind him, I, I do wonder though with the offense kind of changing, how much is going to be relied upon for the tight end position. I think you know I asked Mike McCarthy about that before, and you know the tight end position is obviously the quarterback's best friend, but I think they have other options that can do that out of the backfield and the receiving core. So that'll be interesting. But in terms of the other guys, you know on that Deuce Vaughn twenty-six yard run, you know the the Schoonmaker and uh, John Stevens blocks were really were really good. I thought they looked good in that spot. I thought John Stevens, you know, I was sitting next to John uh, in the press box saying even before he scored that touchdown, I think the drive before, I was like, John Stevens looks like that kind of just red zone threat that you need um, on a team. And I think John Stevens can have that role. I think Hendershot is kind of, you know, just, I, I think Hendershot at his best is probably a good number three tight end to have. And so I think when you're looking at that pecking order, you have Jake Ferguson one, I think you have Hendershot three, and then you're hoping that Schoonmaker or John Stevens or, you know, obviously you have uh, Sean McCune and, you know, someone kind of figures out that, that solid number two role. If I'm, if I'm setting the roster right now, again, I'm probably only keeping three tight ends just because of what I need to do at other spots. And also I think that you can get a Sean McCune or a John Stevens back uh, after you, and if it's not them, somebody from another team, but as of right now, I mean, I think it'll be Ferguson, Schoonmaker, and Hendershot. Now, there's two more preseason games left. Sure. If John Stevens keeps balling like he has been, then they can't let him go. You know, they're so going to have to. 
I, I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry. John Stevens has been showing out at practice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really sure-handed, you know, former wide receiver turned tight end and uh, certainly looks the part. Like kind of, I guess the best way I could describe it is, you know, that ball down the middle that uh, Cooper rushed through to Jake Ferguson where he had to make that leap and grab whatever. Like John mm-hmm. Stevens has been doing stuff like that in practice. You're like, damn, you know, I mean, this kid can go up and get it. You know, he's very good pass catcher for sure. So if that keeps and, going, and, then maybe they can't let him out of the building. Yeah, and, and there's some dialogue um, that, you know, the tight ends coach was talking to us about him before about how, you know, he's adjusting to the three-point stance and, and things like that. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the dialogue that the training that was in training camp with Rico Gathers back in the day where they're like, you know, they're, the upside here, there's a lot of mystery, but there's some real potential to be reached here. Uh, and everyone's just kind of fascinated. I mean, he had, John Stevens has a lot more rope than someone like Sean McCune because everyone knows, including the coaches in the organization, that it's a little bit of a conversion process from wide receiver to tight end. Whereas I think if you know if him and McCune are on the same level, I think that the tie break would go to John Stevens. I mean, just look at the investments of that position right now to the ones that we've talked about. It's like Stevens undrafted. <laughs> Hendershot undrafted, McCune undrafted. I mean, they clearly feel like you can get some contributors without having to spend any like big time picks, you know. So um, Dalton Schultz, a fourth round picks. Uh, Ferguson is a fourth round pick, and then now Schoonmaker was a second. But um, for the most part, though, it seems like they've been able to find some bargains there at that position, which is a great thing. I mean, if you can do that every draft or every other draft, man, you'd be you'd be in a great spot for sure. Um, the thing with Rico, though, is everybody all knew who he was because he was basketball player at Baylor that stood out, you know, whereas John Stevens, nobody really knew anything about him when he, when he showed up, you know, and he's not like somebody that you're necessarily looking for, but you know, when you just watch the games, you're just like, or watch the practices. And then if you watch the game on Saturday, you're just like, even if you're not paying attention, that guy's doing things that are going to stand out to you. Um, When you look at defense, obviously Mozzie Smith kind of, uh, you know, playing a position that's not probably going to be a big box score type uh, position. Watching the game, play here and there, nothing crazy. Uh, what were y'all's uh, observations from the Cowboys first round pick? My, my quickest take on that is exactly perfect segue, KT. You couldn't have done that any better. Mozzie Smith is exact opposite of what I just said about John Stevens. If I didn't tell you he was the first round pick, if I didn't tell you hey, this guy is going to be the guy you need to keep your eye on, <laughs> In, in training camp practices or even that game on Saturday, you never would have been like first round pick, that guy right there, unless you're like a professional scout or, you know, you have a background in, you know, coaching for a long time or something like that. But I'm saying just your, you know, average NFL fan, if you came to a bunch of camp practices or you're watching the game on Saturday, if nobody told you, hey, this is their first round pick. Now, also part of it is the position he plays. It's not really a position that's going to show out in a training camp setting. Um, but out of his work, like on, on, on Saturday, I just thought he was okay. You know, I mean, he had that nice run stop. And then there's other times where he just kind of got washed out of the play. But, I mean, he's going to get a lot of double teams. And I don't know, maybe maybe his greatest contribution will be that he allows Leighton Vander Esch and DeMarvion Overshone and Damone Clark to play really well. And Jabril Cox or De- Devin Harper, whatever linebackers are in there, maybe that's what it is. But what I've seen so far um, – makes me pump my brakes a little bit on some of that talk right after he was drafted about no 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 there's some pass rush we're gonna see some pass like I I don't know if you're gonna see much of that right away I'm not saying that you won't you know eventually maybe later in the season next season whatever obviously he's gonna you know he's a first round pick they got a fifth year option that they can exercise he should be here for a while but right off the bat as a rookie I would be surprised if he's among the team's you know leading pass rushers yeah, and I think, uh, you know, ditto on all that, but I think the one thing I'll add to that is he's in a fortunate situation where he doesn't have to be. Uh, there's so much depth up front. There's so much mm-hmm. that they have there that I, I, don't think, I don't think the Cowboys are really relying on him to be that kind of player. Would you like your first-round pick to be a day-one contributor and all that? Of course you would, but I don't think they need that because of how much depth they do have up front, both on from a, you know, inside and outside on the defensive line. So I don't think that it's going to be a glaring thing for him if his development takes a little bit. It's, it, you know, it kind of, for me, ties back to the way that we view Jalen Tolbert, right? Because Jalen Tolbert last year, I mean, you traded away Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup wasn't going to be ready for the season start. All you had was C.D. Lamb, and then you drafted Jalen Tolbert pretty high. 
uh, from South Alabama. And you're like, okay, we need someone at receiver to fill in. And then he wasn't ready to do anything. And now Jalen Tolbert is way better than he was last year, but he's also competing for the wide receiver four position. And so there's a whole different vibe when you're kind of doing that, where same thing with Mozzie Smith. Like Mozzie Smith doesn't have to be – he's not competing to be your starting defensive tackle on game one. It, 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 he doesn't have that pressure the way Tolbert doesn't have that pressure at wide receiver this year. So I think that's something that will help him a little bit too. Yeah, because on the flip side, I will say there have been moments out at camp where Jonathan Hankins stood out. There have been moments out in camp where Osa stood out. Those are your, those are your top two defensive tackles right now. And if Mozzie, you know, his get-off has been a little bit of an issue, if he can get that all worked out and get rolling and and maybe being in that rotation will help benefit him as opposed to, you know, being the guy, um, then yeah, sure. You know, you could see you could see some some, you know, big contributions early on, but he's the guy that I feel like we get asked about maybe not the most, but quite a, he's pretty high on the list. And I, I mean, believe me, you're not going to find a person that's been going out to camp that wouldn't love to, to tweet out a video of Mozzie, you know, tearing somebody up more than I would. Um, and those just moments just haven't really been there. Well, and that's like a part of this defense is it is so fast. Everyone in this defense fast. Um, and like, if his job is just kind of see, I, I think it, I don't want to be like dismissive or uh, reductive of him by saying just take on a double team and just eat space. That sounds like it's it will eventually be more than that. But right now, that might just be enough. Like if you're allowing um, a linebacker to come clean, my God, Overshown, who we'll talk about next, like looked great and had some like space. In fact, there's one play or uh, one of Overshown's many good plays. Well, it's because Mozzie was like uh, Mozzie was taking on a, a, a double team, and Overshawn had a clean like that's the tangible that can work right now type things. I mean, it um, can be a very thankless position. I mean, absolutely. Look, 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 look at the guy. He, yeah. he really that in his time. I'm an expert on this because I'm a Michigan hater. In his time at the <laughs> University of Michigan, there's a lot of correlation between what. The Cowboys' defense has been since they've gotten Micah Parsons. Is Dan Quinn a big part of it? Of course. Are there a lot of other upgrades they've made on defense? Of course. But Micah's like the one of the key pieces there. Like the entire time Mozzie was at Michigan, like they really took that defense to another level. That's why they were going. It wasn't because they were necessarily they had this great offense. But their defense was on a level that that's why they were beating Ohio State. That's why they were going to the college football playoff. And you look at his stats. And there's not a lot of things that jump out at you because there isn't, you know, the big sack numbers and the, and the QB hits and all that stuff like that. But at the same time, he's also the guy that's number one on Bruce Feldman's freaks list because of all the, you know, measurables he has and, and how much of a freak athlete he is and his strength and everything like that for a guy's size. Frankly, he plays a position that is is kind of thankless, you know. So when I say that he hasn't stood out and stuff like that, I'm not sitting here saying that, oh, I don't know, guys, this looks like another Tristan Hill. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there hasn't been a lot of the like wild plays that I think fans sometimes look for when you you know draft a guy in the first round. Yeah, I think when you're looking at that defensive tackle position, I mean that's why you know a long time ago we've all kind of established you don't. It's not always about measuring defensive prowess with tackles because a lot of times those those linebacker tackles are because of how the defensive tackle is playing, and so and you know I think I think he'll be fine eventually, and I think there were a few plays in that game in the preseason game where he took on a double team that on that run stop he peeled off of the double team and made the stop and then there was another play where he pushed his guy all the way back and forced the running back inside so I think there's different signs of him doing well it's just um I guess, I guess you're always just measuring him up to expectations and that's where that's where he hasn't been quite all of that and overshone looking like pretty good value so far. Has it been like that at practice? You know, pretty much just kind of in the mix, making a lot of plays. Yeah, but kind of similar to the Deuce Vaughn thing. Like you're you're not really seeing it as much against the ones. So there's a part of you there just kind of mm-hmm. okay. You know, he's making these plays because there was one practice last week where he ended on on an interception that three plays before he had a pick too that was like a diving pick to his left, but it got called back because I think the defense was offsides. And then a few plays later, at the very last play of practice, he picked a ball off that. You know, he, it was a very acrobatic, like athletic move where he had a, the ball was tipped and, and he ended up, he was laying on his back and made the catch. Um, so yeah, he, he's been very active. It just, it's working with, you know, threes. So that's why you were kind of interested to see, okay, let's see how this works. 
And just, man, the way he looked in that game and the way, you know, Damone Clark looked, you were just like, all right. Um, I think that you had to feel a little bit better about the linebacker spot after watching that game because you know what you got in Van Der Esch, but it's like, okay, well, who else is going to step up? You know, Mike McCarthy talks about Jabril Cox being back from his knee injury finally and, and, and noticing in practice that he looks like he's back to his old self. So that's a good sign. But then you watch that preseason game, you see Damone Clark, you see DeMar Vian Overshown, even in the second half a little bit with the Devin Harper and stuff like that. Um, they look like the linebacker. I feel a lot more confident in their linebacker room than I did uh, Saturday morning. Yeah, I mean, I think I think early on against the Jaguars, the Damone Clark and Overshone uh, tandem was the most noticeable thing in the first quarter. Probably was just how well they were playing, and and so I think the linebacker depth. I mean, you know, John talking about all the all the different places they would need to keep numbers. I mean, you'd rather have more of those than probably your running back. And so, you know, you're going to lose some of those slots to the defense as well. And let's round things out. The secondary, obviously, uh, big interception there uh, in the first quarter. It's hard. There's a few starters that are playing. Uh, to know, but some of these guys, we see Kelvin Joseph a little bit. Do you have anything that jumped out at you from the uh, secondary guys? I was hoping to see a little bit more from Eric Scott just because he had been pretty good the three weeks in training camp. He was a guy that would, you know, it seemed like every few days would make a few plays where, you know, he'd really stand out. Uh, and he really didn't have that in that game. Obviously, Wanye Thomas with the interception for sure was one that stood out. I, that's a tough spot, too, because you just look at safety and you're just like, well, J. Ron's there, Donovan Wilson's there, Malik Hooker's there. And, and then next up, their fourth would be Israel Mukwamu, who. He can play a lot of that nickel. Like he, they, they use him as kind of like a safety corner hybrid. So there's obviously always a role for that guy in today's NFL. And then after that, that's when you get into Marquise Bell and Wanye Thomas. And it's like, well, can they keep both of those guys? Can they, you know, I and mean, that's a lot of safeties when if those top three guys are healthy, those guys are never even seen the field, you know, other than, you know, they can help on special teams. So that that's a very interesting thing to even be talking about considering where the safety position was, you know, two, three years ago. Um, and then at corner, you know, I still, I don't know. I just st- have, still haven't seen enough from Kelvin Joseph to feel great about him. Uh, Nashawn Wright, man, throughout camp. And it just, he would make, he can make some huge plays. And then sometimes you're just like, man, you know, he can get burned, but it, but then he'll make another big play where you're just like, yeah, with that size, I don't know if you want to let him go, you know, because I kind of see him maybe, you know, latching out with another team and then you're kind of kicking yourself, you know, like, ah, man, maybe maybe should have kept him you know that's obviously happened with dbs with the cowboys uh that they've drafted well they didn't draft charvarius ward but he was in the building and then the same thing with with mike jackson who um ended up he's he's been playing pretty well recently so i think i wonder if there's a part of them that's like let's not let let's not pass on nation just yet let's see if he's got a little bit more left there because again if there's no injuries there none of those guys are really playing because you're going to be playing Duran Bland, Stefan Gilmore and Trayvon Diggs and those guys are going to be out there all game but one injury like we saw last year once Jordan Lewis went down and boom you know who's the next guy sure. up so for me when Jordan Lewis is healthy he's still corner four for me um but he might not be healthy or ready to come back for he might you know he might start the, the season on pop and not be able to play in the first few games so who's that next guy up and there were some times in training camp where I, where I was thinking it might be Eric Scott, but I, I think he needs to have, you know, some more strong performances in, in, in these two preseason games. Yeah, and I think Eric Scott looked a, little, looked a little slow or lost or a combination of both to me against the Jaguars. And um, I think Mukwam was that perfect uh, perfect depth piece where, you know, when you, when you don't have to – the deeper you get on the depth chart, the versatility becomes a bigger thing because – you're not a master of one, so you know you have to have that. And I think he's also really rangy. He's a tall, big guy, so I think there's that. And he can play safety and corner. With Nashawn Wright, you know, being out in training camp is interesting because a lot of times you're. I'm not. I'm not as. Uh, I'm not as much of a pro as John is, and and getting all the angles and knowing where to stand and stuff. But you know, when I was recording videos, there's a lot of times I'd see a catch. Uh, or I'd catch, or I'd record a catch or something, and I'd be like, "That was a tough, like contested catch," and the receiver still comes down with it. But a lot of times, it was Nashawn Wright on the other end of it. So he's like, he's there. He's not, he's not getting absolutely toasted or anything like that. But 
he's he's just not making the plays. It's kind of like uh, uh gosh, who was that? Cheeto was like I, that for a while. Yeah, che- Cheeto and Anthony exactly. Brown have both been like that at different times. Cheeto, Cheeto is exactly who I was thinking about. Cheeto to me was like, he, he's kind of like another Cheeto where he's right there, and if it's and you know when you go back and watch it in slow motion, you're like, oh my god, you just need like one more inch higher with your fingernails. But um, but I think Nation Wright has kind of been in that boat, and um, I think you know everything John said about the depth chart is spot on. I think I think that's kind of how it's going to fall, and I think at the end you have to just weigh. Who are the best guys for your roster, and who are the who are the guys that are the the best guys that can fall through the cracks um, when you do make the cuts? Because a lot of teams on the outside will look for those raw skill guys that they can mold and develop. The Nation Wright, the the Mukwamus, and the John Stevens, and those kind of guys. Um, that's the guys where you know another team might look at and be like, "Hey, we can take this raw skill set and mold it into our system." So I think that's a lot of the roster construction might come down to that as well. Let's talk kicker real quick. Brandon Aubrey, one missed extra point. But field goal, good. The two extra points he made, good. Five touchbacks. Um, yeah, I don't even know, right? You're kind of looking for clear-cut um, separation. I'm pulling for the guy. Local guy, you know, want this to work out. But uh, – I don't know. <laughs> Figure it out next week, maybe? Yeah, I still think it's about 50-50 between him and somebody that's not in the building right now, you know, an NFL veteran. I'm, they would love for him to win the job, obviously. And, you know, in warm-ups, he looked like he was pretty much ready for it. And even during the game, I thought he looked better than he did for most of the days out in Oxnard. It just, But, you know, when you're missing extra points, that obviously is – that's not great. So – um, if he would have made it, I made. If he would have made all three extra points, I think you you look at it as like, yeah, they're in really good shape. I think they got their guy. Let's see if he can just solidify these next two games. Whereas I look at it right now, I'm like, he really has to show out, you know. Uh, and again, the other thing is like, he hasn't kicked like a long field goal either. You know, it'd be nice to see him have to, you know, in a big moment or something like that, have to kick something 45 plus, and just to see how that would be. Um, but I mean, I'm not a kicker, but I would think that. AT&T Stadium, and that's probably about as friendly as it gets. Yeah, yeah. the really interesting about that is is that he hasn't even tried those long field goals even in practice and stuff. So you really have no idea of what he can do there. I wonder, I wonder if there's any element of Mike McCarthy thinking that you know, forget it, we're just not going. But you know, if it's from 55, we're, we're we'll just go for it on fourth and four or something like that. Um, I wonder if that's part of it. It was kind of interesting to be watching the Jaguars because they lost their long snapper early on and, and just going for it on every after every touchdown and, and not really attempting any field goals. It was kind of it was kind of a fun thing to watch as you're kind of watching the kicker battle in Dallas and see what that would look like if you just if you just, you know, committed yourself more to going for it on whatever fourth and two, fourth and three, uh, that you, that kind of comes up if it's a little out of range. You know, it's interesting. There's less... Uh, okay, I'm, I'm sorry I do this sometimes, but uh, as a guy who follows the Packers pretty closely too, you know, they spent a six-round pick on Anders Carlson, and he missed back-to-back extra points in their preseason game Friday night and has missed about 15 field goals in practice <laughs> during some like, big team times. And they're like, well, it was a six-round pick. We're not going to cut him. Well, they're also not in go-for-it mode like the Cowboys are. Yeah, I don't um, think any of these guys have an issue with kicking a football straight for a very long distance. I think they all can do that. I don't think you even get a chance to even try out for an NFL team if you can't do that. The, what the separator is for a lot of these guys is the mental side of it. And, you know, that's why, like, when Saad says that he hasn't kicked any long ones, I completely think that's by design. They're trying to build up his confidence. Why put him out there? And Like the one kick we saw when he, when – he was still competing, and and there and there and he wasn't the only kicker in camp. And this thing died at like the ten yard line, and you're just like, whoa, that's bad. And so, yeah, that's my whole thing. I mean, because the biggest one I'll always point to, you know, you go to the Packers all the time. I I think of Florida State all the time. Like I'm telling you, man, <laughs> multiple years, Roberto Guayo, wherever it needed to be, put him out there. He was banging everything. I mean, there's a reason that the Bucks drafted him in the second round, and then for him to get to the NFL, 
and be as bad as he was, as quick as he was? Do you think that's because all of a sudden he, yeah, you know, Roberto just stopped kicking and he just wasn't that strong anymore and he just kind of didn't even work on it? No, it's the mental thing is is bigger than anything. I mean, of course, like, I'm sure Justin Tucker has, you know, one of the strongest legs pound for pound. Don't get me wrong, but I bet you he's also about as mentally tough as they come. And and I feel the same way about the guy that Saad and I talk about quite a bit, Adam Venetieri. Like, I don't know that Adam Venetieri was necessarily just like, oh, he just had the strongest leg. It was like, no, that dude was as mentally tough as they come. And he won a lot of big games because of it. Yeah, it'll be, for, for me, I think, you know, Dallas fans in general, watching the team for a long time, even before I started covering the team, you know, with Dan Bailey, you just got so conditioned to one certain thing. And I think I think sometimes you have to also take a zoom-out view of, okay, you have Justin Tucker and, you know, the kid in Cincinnati and a couple of other guys like that. But, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of, with the extra point moving back and stuff, this is kind of, <laughs> this is kind of the way it is in the, in the league. So I think you kind of have to judge them on that scale too. So it, it'll be – It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. I think part of it is that he's young and and affordable and stuff. You know, you could go out and sign Robbie Gould, but, you know, who knows? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to uh, get to from the game? Anything coming up big this week? Obviously, the Zach Martin thing's kind of taken over, over. But uh, you know, get ready for the second preseason game, and the Cowboys pretty much made their decisions. I'm not going to play a lot of starters. Um, is there anything else uh, on your mind, fellas? Yeah, I can't think of another. I'm trying to think of another area on the team that we haven't touched on, but um, I feel like we got every position group. Um, I guess the only other thing I can add is that I really don't have an issue uh, with the possibility of the offense looking kind of rusty in the opener. Um, I know a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I'm sure there's people out there that, you know, think that Dak and this offense should get at least a couple series in the preseason. And I don't think that would be a bad thing either, but I understand where Mike McCarthy's coming from with this team. And so, like I said, that might lead to some rust early in the season. But even with knowing that, I think the, the process that he's going with, I think that's the smartest thing to do. Um, and, I mean, of course, guys can get hurt in that first game. But, man, you look at this team on paper, if they're healthy, on that offensive and defensive side of the ball, and you just break down their starters, man. I mean, I, I can't think of the last time that the Cowboys have had a team like this loaded. And you might have to go back to the 90s. So. Yeah, I think I think the only the only upside for me if you got the offense any reps would be just going through the motions with McCarthy, um, calling the plays. Obviously, Saturday was his first time doing that, and I think just the process of you know hear his voice and Kellen Moore's voice is very different, and making sure Dak you know just gets it in all smooth and uh, and conveys everything. But that's something that again can happen in the first week uh, very very easily. I don't think you need to you need to do anything to to do that in particular. I'm glad you brought that up. One other thing I was going to talk about is the fact of with all of that, it is very interesting and I'm sure there's other cases of this, but I'm interested to see if they roll with what they did on Saturday where Mike McCarthy's calling the plays and Brian Schottenheimer's on the sideline. And I just find that interesting because usually if your head coach is your offensive play caller, the OC is up in the box because usually you want that set of eyes to be up above because you can see more things from up there and but I also get from a sense of 
Yeah, but I also want this guy that's a veteran experienced in this system in Brian Schottenheimer to be the guy sitting next to Dak when he's coming off the field because I'm also the head coach, Mike McCarthy. I have to be able to throw challenge flags. I can't just go over there and sit with him like, you know, Kellen would do or Scott Linehan would do. So it is interesting about who's going to be Mike McCarthy's eyes in the sky. I'm pretty sure, um, because we didn't get to ask him after the game, um, I'm pretty sure it was Scott Tolzien because he is the quarterback coach and he was upstairs. Um, But, you know, most of the coaches were on the sideline. And so I don't know if that's just they're working through some things, but it'll be one of those I'm interested to see how that goes. Because, again, Tolzien, you know, if if, if it's a veteran, you know, coach, quarterback coach or something like that who had previously been an OC or something like that, I think you'd be fine with that person being there on the sideline. But because it's this new offense, I could also see why Schottenheimer or McCarthy wants Schottenheimer down there with Dak so that – if there is a miscommunication or this goes wrong, you have a guy right next to you. You don't have to worry about a you know speaker cutting out or a headset not working. It's like, no, no, no. Give me the give me the tablet. I'll show you. This is exactly why this went this way. If this happens again, just do this, whatever. You can just clean stuff up a lot quicker. So it doesn't surprise me if that's the way that they they go with it. It just it is a little bit different because usually that that one or you know, the other person is usually up in the booth. As you see when you watch the games. That's how it is with Dan Quinn. You know, not all DCs are up in the booth. Dan prefers to be up there because he likes to watch it from that vantage point. Yeah, the other thing is, I, I know this is McCarthy's done this for a long time, calling plays and stuff, but it's really interesting to me. We asked him in a walk-off, you know, how he's still going to be doing the head coaching stuff, and, and he was very, very upfront. He said all that stuff has been split up between different assistants and stuff. And then the one that really kind of surprised me is after the game he was asked about Overshone, and he just – he just completely conceded. He didn't even try to say some BS about, you know, like, you know, give give you that typical answer of look good, whatever. He straight up was like, look, I'm calling the plays. I don't know what's happening on defense. I'm not watching that right now. So I cannot give you any review of how Overshone looked. And I was like, wow, that, that was kind of surprising to hear from a head coach. But I wonder well, if that changes. Well, yeah, and that's what's going to be interesting about post game. Like, are you even going to? Should you even ask about individual players? Because you say about Overshone, same thing with Damone Clark. But then he also said an answer the same thing about Josh Ball. He said Josh Ball asked him, "Hey, coach, how do you think I did?" And he's like, "Hey, man, I'll be honest with you. This new job, I don't get to watch you guys as closely uh, as I did before." And so, um, yeah, that that whole deal will be interesting to see the way that everything kind of irons itself out and works like that. But yeah, in terms of like right after a game. Uh, it's just funny because it's like you can ask Jerry about any of those guys and he'll give, he'll give you this really long answer. So I guess that's where I'll go for my immediate evaluations right after the game. Yeah. So I guess nothing changes for us. Packed uh, house at uh, Jerry World, 80,000 strong for the backups. That always impresses me. Well, I mean, it was. I mean, sod back on the beat. You don't think that that affected fans? That I mean, was a big thing. At least you know, half the draw. I mean, the pregame the ceremony with sod on the field was great. No, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I mean, that. Hit the, I mean, he did a great job with the national anthem. Dude, uh, so good. <laughs> who knew uh, you had those pipes? What else do they yeah. do? I always forget. Well, uh, I, th- I thought it was an interesting touch. Hey, to spoiler let him alert on the national anthem. Ride it on horseback. You guys know yeah. the. Uh, the trumpet guy yes yeah that's fake he's not really playing the trumpet come on stop dude, it dude don't ruin that for the hundred thousand people that are going stop it hey, right I'm now ruining it for like the eight people that listen to this show not it is the same rendition you just ruined it, it for me <laughs> it's it's the same rendition every time you're right he doesn't ever mix it up with the little well, staccato i think it's the the reason if i remember correctly is that he messed up one time and so they were like oh. never again so they made him record it. And like played a different song? Or he just skipped a verse or whatever, however you can mess it up. And I will, I will say that it is, for as many times as I heard that song, it is kind of an, a, a song that doesn't surprise me. And if you watch him, like, he's just kind of like standing there with the trumpet, kind of just moving it. Well, now we're all going to be watching I'm it. I'm never going to think about this the Yeah. Same. Wow. <laughs> Mind blown. Why would you do I that? I found that me? out like five or six years ago. Like it's been... Um, a long time. I just assume you know, everything's fake now. Yeah, next thing next <laughs> thing you're gonna tell me that like Britney Spears wasn't really singing at those concerts I know. or, <laughs> or, yeah, or like, oh man. You're telling me that Madonna 
has that little earpiece thing on and that's not really her singing those songs <laughs> you, you just get out of here right now get out well it was fun yeah way to end on a negative note Sorry. thanks Kent I thought y'all would find that interesting not get angry <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm upset I'm hurt um, I want to well, talk to management take a knee during the nap Anthem. What's I feel like you just disdain. told a bunch of WWE fans that that, that it's not real. Yeah, yeah it's, it's still real to us. Still family. real to me, Dad. Hey, I'll go out and say <laughs> that I would say probably eighty percent of national anthems are pre-recorded on a big stage. I don't like this at all. I don't either. <laughs> you know was what? It, was and, it recorded? Uh, was it, it pre-recorded at the Hall of Fame when Demarcus Ware did it? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not. Definitely not that one. Why would you pre-record that? <laughs> the, the Carl Lewis what, one was definitely. What if that was the best record. one, Kent? <laughs> you don't know. Hey man, I love Dwear. I lo- I love Dwear. So it's a tough song. No, yeah. to sing. I would never. I would never. I would even if I could sing, I would never want to sing the national anthem. So never. Props to him. People for that people that can sing very well talk about how it's a very difficult song to sing. Right. What do you guys think and of our so it, far? And then you got to do it all by yourself in the middle of a of a field like that. Um, I haven't oh, watched Fluff Knox? Yeah, Fluff Knox has been good. What? <laughs> I haven't the, watched uh, any of it. Yeah, it was. Um, Anybody sing yet? I just I hate that they were like episode one. Let's get the Aaron Rodgers episode out of the way, and then now they're gonna have to move on. Like and the Lee we'll of Schreiber episode. I mean, he was like half the episode was. <laughs> It started start, showing up the camp. It started with them in like a darkness retreat. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how long or how much they're able to get out of him because, you know, he acted like he didn't want it. My prediction was, oh, he'll be friendly once the cameras come around. Like, that's what he does. And by the way, there is a lot of confirmations though, of things I've said for a long time. Teammates <laughs> effing love that guy. Yeah. The only th- two that don't are guys that are butthurt that they didn't get contracts. Greg Jennings, Jermichael Finley. <laughs> Teammates like that dude a lot. And so I, I think when you watch the Hard Docs and you see Aaron Rodgers, like, seems like kind of a cool guy. I wish he, like, almost, like, practiced what he preached sometimes when it comes to mindfulness and hobbit holes and stuff. <laughs> because he's not always that way, like, on the sideline in the moment yeah. and things like that. But. Yeah, I feel like I would also, love Aaron Rodgers the teammate, but I would hate Aaron Rodgers like as soon as he walks out the door. You know, yeah. he's very much in the John Mayer camp for me, where I can mm-hmm. never determine if I love John Mayer or hate John Mayer. Yeah, because he'll put out a great yeah. song, be like, "Well, I love this song," and then he'll say something and be <laughs> like, "Ah, oh, this guy's I don't know." <laughs> you know, <laughs> can I break some news for you guys? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Aaron Rodgers has a new teammate, it's, uh, Dalvin Cook. Oh, okay. signing with the Jets. What's so a big running back that? signing day. I did not see. I just saw that. I just saw the push notification pop up on my phone. But it's a one-year deal, according to Cowboys insider Tom Pelissero. Of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, eight point six million. Eight point six million. Uh, up to eight point six million, according to Adam Schefter. Dude, that is man, they're going pretty good for, for it, running man. backs. I don't know why they in that episode they're just like Super Bowl, you know, Super Bowl. I don't think. I mean, I think they're going to be good, but you know, well, you don't make you you don't make this move. You don't make this move if you don't think that you're a contender. I guess they think they are, but you know how many teams you have to get through in the AFC to make it to the Super Bowl? Like you have to. If I had Aaron Rodgers, though, I'd I'd be thinking that too. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Me too. For sure. Because if you just if you get to the playoffs, you just never know, man. If he's on his game. He can make some average guys look really good and some really good guys look great. So, uh, of course, he's got to be healthy and he's got to be willing to, you know, not leave right before the playoffs start to go take ayahuasca. But, I mean, if he's there uh, and he's locked in and healthy, I mean, like I've said many a times, he's played the game. Nobody's played the game at a higher level than than he has. So, yeah. And we saw Luke Holmes. You don't make that. You don't make that type of a Dalvin Cook move if you don't think that you got a ch- serious chance to make a run. And we saw it with Mahomes last year in the Super Bowl, right? Like, I mean, he gets hurt. Like, you just it, with injuries, you never know what. I mean, you know, I'm not like obviously we want to see everybody healthy, but it's football, so yeah. you never know what happens. And so, um, yeah, I think I think I'd be all in too. And and uh, Aaron Rodgers is what two years ago he won MVP. I mean, he's 
he's very much there. Feels like the Jets fans are setting themselves up for disappointment, but what else is new, right? <laughs> yeah, you say yeah. you say that, but for where they've been recently, I'm sure they're That's happy true. just to even have a you know, a seat be in the conversation at the table. Yeah. 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 Well, if that defense is super good, then you're gonna have some issues and that's gonna get wild. So I mean like and so it's a whole thing. I were talking about this, like it all goes back to the NFC where you can legitimately have debates about Dak being the best quarterback in the conference. You can legitimately have debates about Kirk Cousins being the best quarterback in the conference. Yeah. Like that's how open it is. So And then you look at that side screw it and up. you're and you, and it goes about six, seven deep at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. Well, guys, we'll uh, catch up next week after uh, preseason game two. Obviously, if there's any huge and breaking stuff, we'll cut in and have an emergency podcast. We always like doing that. So uh, for Saad Youssef, check out his work on The Athletic. For Father John Bashota, check out his work on The Athletic. You can also hear Saad at a lot of Cowboys games uh, doing the national anthem now that Kent has ruined it. Um, and, and our producer, Kent Garrison, a nice shirt there, John. That's, that's a good shirt. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Killer shirt. One These like that, yeah. <laughs> the lightning bolt. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I'm sure our audience will love that note that we just had there at the end. <laughs> uh, for me, Kevin, and the rest of the gang, we'll see you next week on About Them Cowboys. Bye. Austin Powers, 